Yeah, here we go. What I want to do today is I want to read through what we read last week and then keep going through the Beatitudes today. So last week we looked at the first four Beatitudes, which really deal with our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And then this week we're going to deal with the next four Beatitudes, or really five Beatitudes, that deals with our relationships with each other. And again, as Jesus teaches these, these are completely countercultural now to what people say, and most definitely back then as well. And so he says this in Matthew chapter 5. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others rival you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil and falsely things on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so I want to pick up where we left off last week, right at, um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That's where we left last week. And we talked about how we should continuously have an appetite and create an appetite to pursue God and to go after the things of God. And as we do that, it ultimately starts to transform our hearts and our behavior starts to change from the inside out. Now, one of the things about Jesus that you're going to see all throughout the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus was not after behavior modification. And ultimately, Christianity is not about moralism. Um, it's, it's about God transforming your heart. And from a transformed heart, out of that, we work out our salvation. And our salvation um, is then on display for people to be able to see around us. And so you can't be good enough to get into heaven the answer is Jesus. You can't pay enough to a church or to charities out there to get in heaven. The answer is Jesus. You can't um, be the perfect husband and the perfect father and the perfect student. Ultimately, the answer is Jesus. Your good works do not lead you to salvation, but because of salvation, you have good works. You guys tracking with me? Yeah, somebody? Anyone? Look, if you're watching online, just give me a thumbs up or, um, you know, a heart. Mom, if you're watching, put a heart in there because you always do. Do you all ever go back and watch the live stream and you just start seeing a bunch of hearts pop up? That's my mom. So just, just so you know. But in verse 7, he shifts it and he shifts from our relationship to God to our relationship with others. And he says this, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, many of you guys know this principle, you reap what you sow. Have you ever heard that before? It's in the Bible. So you reap what you sow. Now, if you've got kids, then maybe you'll understand this. And if you grew up with siblings, you'll probably understand this as well. But we've been trying to teach Judah about how to share with his little sister, right? And so it's like, right now he's all into Ryan's toys. Does anyone know who Ryan is? 
Ryan is an eight-year-old who makes $28 million a year, and it makes me want to vomit in my mouth because of YouTube. We love you, Ryan, if you're watching this, which you probably are not because you're probably playing with toys. Um, but, but Ryan has now got his own toy line out there. And, and he, they've created these, these things, these eggs. Literally, it's a plastic egg that you can go buy at Walmart. And they have three different levels. One is $10, one is $20, and one is $40. That's what I think about that, okay? Just so you know, my son loves it. And so for Judah's birthday, we got him the $20 egg, which included like three mysterious action figures, some little silly putty, and like a parachute dude, and some stickers. So this $20 egg that you're paying for, you get about $3 worth of toys, just being honest with you. And it's really, it really just, you know, it's marketing, and it's Target, and they get you. And every time you go in there, you, you go in to buy one thing, and you walk out spending $150. Can I get an amen to that? And, and so y'all are like, hallelujahs. Uh, but like, um, so Judah gets this egg, and like he got some other things. He got like this Nerf Fortnite gun, which was really cool, and because of Nate and Marissa, and he got um, like this digging kit, which was really awesome, and he got some board games and stuff, but you, the only toy he was infatuated with was the egg, Ryan's egg from Ryan's World. He even, kid you not, I think it was yesterday, he even said, Mommy, Daddy, Ryan's my best friend, and I'm like, son, we're about to have an intervention right now because you don't even know who this kid is, right? But because this is his, we're trying to teach him to share with his little sister, Allie. And so Allie will go over there, and Allie will grab a Ryan's toy. And what does Judah do? Allie! Allie, no! Throws a stuffed animal at her. And she's just like, I'm going to play with this and just, you know. And then the next thing you know, we're in the kitchen and Christy's cooking and or I'm upstairs and, and, and you just hear this like screaming and yelling and, and it's like, what's going on? And they're fighting over a stinking one and a half inch 50 cent action figure that came out of that stupid Ryan's egg. And so we're trying to teach Judah, buddy, it's okay to share. Now what happens on the flip side is Allie will get a new toy and Allie will then, like, um, be playing with it. And Judah, what does he do? He wants to play with it. And so he'll come over, and he'll just grab it right out of Allie's hands. And she'll start screaming, no, no, no. And, you know, it's kind of, we don't completely understand her because she's still at that two-year-old age. And she's like, yeah, yeah, What? It's like, yeah, yeah, Christy, what's she saying? Give me back my toy. That's like, Judah, give her the toy. No. And then we take the toy from him. We hand it back to Allie. He gets all upset. And then he's like, why? I want to play with it. And it's, and here's our response. Well, you didn't let your sister play with your toys. Why should we let you play with her toys? Judah, this is what we're trying to tell him in a very elementary way. You're reaping what you sow. You're reaping what you sow. So if you're not going to be merciful towards your sister, then why should we allow you to be able to go and play with her toys whenever you're not going to do the same? Now, it's very difficult teaching a five-year-old this because everything is about Ryan and his toys and PJ Masks and Batman and whatever else is out there that they're trying to get you with, and it changes every other week. Parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But Scripture says right here, Blessed are the merciful, 
for they shall receive mercy. Jesus later on talks about you reap what you sow. This principle goes financially too. If you are a generous person, then you are going to reap a harvest out of that. If you are um, generous in forgiving people, then you will find that more people will be generous in forgiving you. If you're generous towards your spouse uh, and, and showing patience and love, then you're going to find that your spouse is going to respond the exact same way to you. And I think that the church needs to take this passage right here, and we need to look at this every day. The church needs to operate from a place of mercy instead of a place of judgment. The church needs to operate from a place of mercy instead of a place of hypocrisy. And we can just go down the list and, and look at it more and more and more if we want to. But I kind of want to define mercy for you. Mercy is compassion extended to others as an ethical practice of our worship to God. Let me say it again for you. Mercy is compassion extended to others as an ethical practice of our worship to God. Worship is not just singing praises like we just did. Worship is engaging with people who are impoverished and on the fray and broken and hurting. Worship is not just coming in here and going to church or watching online and checking off a box right there. Worship is us being the embodiment of Jesus Christ and being the hands and feet to the broken, the impoverished, the hurting, and might I even say your neighbor. This is what Jesus is calling us to do. And there's something that has crept in, and I'm going to give you guys some stats, and, and know that I love you. You are all here. This is not about you. And you that are watching online, we love you guys too. This is not about you. Like, seriously, I mean this. But hear me out. Um, something has crept up into the American church where it is turned in consu into consumerism, and what can I get out of the church instead of actually standing in the place where God has placed you and you being the church? It literally is like, what can I get, what can I get, what can I get, what can I get? And Jesus is like, I already gave everything to you. Why don't you do what I've actually asked you to do and to be the church and to love your neighbor and to love your enemy and to pray for those who persecute you? Can I just say, City Church, here we are, middle of a pandemic, middle of COVID-19, middle of the racial unrest that's going on. Be the church and extend mercy to those who need mercy. Barna just came out. Barna is a, uh, it's a Christian statistical, uh, they're statisticians, and they, you can Google all of this. They just came out with this shocking report about the state of the American church. And this is what they said, since COVID-19, since COVID-19, one-third of practicing Christians have stopped practicing their faith, meaning they don't give anymore. They don't serve anymore. They don't attend church online anymore. They're not involved in a virtual community group. They've completely disconnected from church completely, and they're trying to do life on their own. Now, the stat immediately after is that one-third of Christians are suffering from severe depression and anxiety. And they found that the one-third that is suffering from depression and anxiety is the one-third that is completely disconnected from the church. Hum, interesting. 
they also found out that one-third of Christians have stopped attending their local church, and they're now attending another church from a hashtag famous pastor in order to be filled and satisfied. Now, let me, let me just stop right here. Let me just stop right here. I listen to Matt Chandler. I listen to Carl Lentz. I listen to Judah Smith. I listen to Corey Trimble. All of these guys are mega church pastors. Their churches are seven to 20,000 in, in attendance. And I get fed by them. But that does not take the place of the local church that God has called me to. That does not take the place. That doesn't. And what they're finding is all of these people are now attending church virtually and they're being even more disconnected from the body of Christ and the community that God ultimately has called them to be in. Let's be the church. Let's be the church. You might be asking, well, Michael, how on earth can I be the church? Well, um, talk to your neighbor. Talk to your neighbor. Extend mercy to the person you see sleeping on the streets. Last Sunday, we got here, and, and um, I think it was us in the West Falls. We had just pulled in, and there was a homeless dude sleeping right outside next to the entrance. And, and of course, I, I went up to him, and, hey, man, uh, you, you got to get up. We're about to open the place up and stuff. And he was completely respectful. And I just went to Dunkin' Donuts, and I got one of those, like, healthy egg white, you know, plant-based things, that they're the, the, whatever it is that they're trying to sell you now. It's not near as good as Starbucks, but uh, I got one of those. Um, and this is not to toot my own horn. I was just like, hey, man, uh, here, here you go. Just know that we love you and God loves you. If you need anything, we'll, we'll be. And he's like, and his response was like, thank you. And he got up and he walked away. But just that little act may have done something. It may have literally fed him. He may have been hungry. I don't know his story. But God says to show mercy on those who need mercy. This is, this is what Psalms uh, chapter 41, this will not be on the screen. So but Psalms 41, 1 says, it says, blessed is the one who considers the poor. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord will deliver him. We are called to engage with people who are broken and who are hurting. We are called to enter into the fray. We are called to show mercy with those who need mercy. We are called to be the church. And, and here's what I want to say to everyone here and to everyone watching online right now. Now is the time more than ever to be the church. Talk to your neighbors. Text your friends. Send out a tweet Ask people, can I pray for you? Is there anything that I need for you? Is there anything that I can do for you? Do you need, like, do you need some lasagna or, or whatever? And, and find out what's going on and extend an arm and show mercy where there needs to be mercy. Do not be disconnected from the community that God has called you to. If anything, press in even more. Does it look different? Yes. Are we missing a lot of people in person? Yes. Are community groups absolutely different right now? Yes. But that is no excuse for you to simply just disconnect from your Christianity because your Christianity is an identity and church is not something that we go to. Church is something that who we are. It makes up the embodiment of who we are. You know, talking about merciful, do you know what scripture says about God's judgment? It says God's judgment is most severe towards Christians, believers, who have right doctrine but not right practice. 
You look at the church, um, some of the seven churches. Almost every one of those churches received a rebuke and revelation from Jesus. I, I think about the church in, in, I think it was Laodicea, no, is it the church in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, where he says, because you're neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. But what's interesting is if you read a few verses before that, he said, you've got your doctrine right, you've got your, your, um, your theology right, but you've lost your first love. But if you look back into that, what was their first love? Their first love was not necessarily, um, it, it, it is, and hear me out, it wasn't this like our relationship with God. They've got that down. Their first love was reaching out to uh, the people who were broken and who were hurting. They lost their mission. They lost their passion. And what happened was, they had the right doctrine without right practice and because of that Jesus was angry how's your practice today how's your practice today is right doctrine then leading you to right practice if not I want to challenge you check your heart he continues on, though, in, in verse 8. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Psalms, um, I want to make sure I get this right. Psalms 24, verses 3 through 6. Let me just flip over there real quick and read that to you. He says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and who does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessings from the Lord and the righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is this generation of those who seek him, who seek his face, the God of Jacob. Who will see God? Who will experience God? It literally says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Man, I want to see God. I want to see God in everything that I do. And so let me just ask you this question. How's your heart today? How's your soul today? How are you really doing? Think about the relationships that you have or think about the business transactions that you make or think about the dinners that you go to or maybe the barbecues that you go to now since most of us are not going to dinners. Whenever you engage into these relationships, are you engaging into these relationships to get something out of it, or are you engaging into these relationships from a pure and honest motive in your heart? I, I, I think about any time I get in an argument with my wife, and don't tell me you don't fight with your spouse. I know you do. Anytime, have you ever gotten in an argument with your spouse, or maybe your girlfriend or your boyfriend? And while you're arguing, you just, in your mind, you think of the, the things that will just cut them, that will just get at them. Like, what's something that I could say to really tick them off? Has anyone ever done that? Anyone? Yeah, about half of you. The other half are lying, and that's okay. That's not coming from a pure motive. Scripture even talks about we can fight with our spice, with our spice. Wow. We can fight with our spouse, with spice, from a pure motive, a pure intention. The moment that we start attacking people, the moment that we start going after them, more often than not, we don't have a pure heart. And I want to see God. I want it to be that in everything that I do, everything that we do as a church community, 
that we see God. We see God manifested to us. He continues on in verse 9, and I'm going to camp out here for just a moment so you guys bear with me. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So let me just start off with this passage, this part right here, by saying um, we have our peace in Jesus Christ and in nothing else. We have our peace in Christ and in nothing else. Because we have peace in Christ, we can now operate from a place of peace. Jesus even said in John chapter 16, he said, um, you're going to experience all of this turmoil, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Peace I give you. Peace I leave with you. Peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. I don't know if you watch CNN or Fox News or MSNBC or The Blaze or um, any other major news station out there. But if you turn it on for about five minutes, you're going to realize that there's not a lot of peace going on. I mean, this week you have conservatives and liberals fighting over statues. You have the government that sent in um, uh, undercover officers or people in military uniform with no ID into Portland, and it's causing huge division and huge issues taking place there. You have the Democratic Party who bashes the Republican Party, and then you have the Republican Party who bashes the Democratic Party, and somewhere in there, there's a libertarian who no one even knows about. I'm just throwing it out there. Can I just say, from a pastor's perspective, and, and hear me whenever I say this, you can be a Republican and still love Jesus, practice your Christianity, and practice your worship. You can also be a Democrat and still love Jesus and practice your Christianity and practice your worship. But what we're seeing right now, go on Facebook. I am seeing so many Christians who are putting their American ideology and their political party above the lordship of Jesus Christ, and they get on social media, and they slander the other party, they slander the president, they slander the governor, they slander whatever politician they want to at the moment because they said something or made something um, incorrect, and we've bought into this huge thing of conspiracy theories and everyone in the world, and all, and all that we are doing is whenever we engage like that, we are slandering the name of Jesus, and we are slandering the name or the kingdom of God. Jesus calls you, regardless of where you stand on the political aisle, to be a peacemaker. And what that ultimately looks like is as citizens, which we are of the kingdom of God, we are to work through hostility and to pursue peace. That means that someone can disagree with you politically and you can still love each other and be family because of Jesus Christ. That means that someone may vote for someone who you really don't like but you can still love each other and pursue peace through Jesus Christ. I am so sick and tired of seeing Christians get on social media and bash a bunch of other politicians. And my question is, I wonder if you would spend a tenth of your time on your knees praying for them instead of all of that time on social media bashing them or stirring up division or stirring up issues. And I'm going to give you guys an example of what that looks like in just a moment. Everyone got real quiet right there. 
I've got some angry people on Facebook right now. They're hitting that angry emoji tab. Man, if you've elevated your political party above the lordship of Jesus Christ, that is idolatry and that is sin, and you need to repent of that. Blessed are the peacemakers. Does that mean that you have to agree with everything? No. But that does mean that you should not walk in hostility towards people. That means that you should take the higher road. I, I want you to think about the Good Samaritan, right? We know the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus talked about the Good Samaritan, and the Jew didn't help him. The priest, I'm sorry, the priest didn't help him. The Levite didn't help him. It was the Samaritan who helped the person who was beat up. The person, the, the person that was beat up was helped by someone from the completely different side, completely different views, completely different faith, completely different political perspective, and they were the person. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. Now, what I love about our church is we have Republicans, we have Democrats, we have anarchists, maybe not anarchists, that isn't the best word. We have people who don't care, that would, that would be a better word. Not saying y'all are anarchists, that's not at all what I'm saying. If you're, you know who I'm talking, I love you guys, I'm so sorry. Uh, let me just backtrack that, and now it's out there on the whole World Wide Web. Please forgive me. But we have Republicans, we have Democrats, we have people who don't vote and who really don't care about politics. We have Libertarians, we have Green Party, we have Whig Party, if that's even a still thing. We come from all different backgrounds politically. And what I love about this church community is that we can sit down in a community group and we can open up the scripture and we can debate about this stuff and we can talk about this stuff. And it would not create hostility if anything we can leave there having a different perspective and understanding of why someone may view something different than maybe how we view it. And I love that. And this is something that we have been striving for for a long, long time. L let me give you an example. We recently, multiple times, have had a, the office of a politician contact us and say, I would like to come preach at your church. This is someone who's running for office. And my response has been, thank you, I so appreciate that you would like to, but the answer is no. Well, why is the answer no? And it isn't exactly like that, but I've gotten that from multiple people. Why is the, why is the answer no? Because we're not going to engage into a political side. But I'm going to preach the Bible, but you're also trying to win a campaign. But I'm not going to engage into it, but you're also trying to win a campaign. You're going to go there with the intent of preaching a gospel message in order for you to be able to collect votes. And I don't know you, and I'm not going to subject our church community to having a politician come up here and to preach the gospel in, in order to be able to get votes whenever I have no idea who you are. You're welcome. You're welcome. And so I've told this person and their, their office and other pastors in this area, the answer is no. Well, you guys just don't love Jesus. No, we do love Jesus. We don't want politics to get in the way of people who are far from God coming to know Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oh, let me just say this. Let me just say this. Christians do need to engage into social issues. I just need to make that very clear. We need to engage into social issues. This is something that you see all throughout Christianity, all throughout the early church, all throughout the civil rights movement. We need to engage into social issues from a Christian perspective, um, but not from a place of condemning and hurting 
and attacking other people. That's, that's my point with the peacemakers. All right. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me, let me keep reading. Verses 11 and 12. Blessed are you when others rival you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now this is interesting. Because you are blessed when you are persecuted. I know persecution may not be fun, but you are blessed when you are persecuted. Meaning God's favor and his blessing is upon you whenever you're persecuted, not persecuted for your political party, but whenever you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. We need people to stand up for righteousness and justice. We need people to stand up for what the scripture says. We need people to stand up for living a holy lifestyle and pursuing a holy lifestyle and loving our neighbors and loving our enemies and being peacemakers and being all of these things. But man, our world needs to see a generation stand up right now who's willing to be persecuted because they're standing up for righteousness and justice and holiness. And Jesus says, when you do that, you are blessed. When you do this, you are blessed. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. I don't know where this idea came out of or started to kind of creep up that if you're a Christian, you're not going to be persecuted. But it is something that's crept up. And oftentimes people, when they're persecuted for their faith because they're not grounded in the scripture, because oftentimes it was some emotional experience that they had, and yes, I'll give my life to Jesus, and maybe they go to groups or something every now and then, but they never really get grounded in their faith. What happens is they start to get persecuted for their faith, and then they start to disconnect from their faith because they don't understand that in Christianity you're going to have suffering. In Christianity you're going to have persecution. In Christianity you're going to have difficulty. It's not going to be perfect all the time. And then I just want to say this. I don't think we understand what persecution is here in America. You might be saying, well, Michael, I got fired because I was a Christian. Well, you could sue them then. In America, you can sue them if that's the case. I don't think we understand what persecution is. Let me give you an example. And this is the example I was talking about that kind of deals with the whole political stuff, but not really Recently, CBN, the Christian Broadcasting Network, July 5th or July 6th, somewhere in that time frame, released an article, and this is what the article said. And, and hear me out. Hear me as I say this, because if you disconnect from this or if you allow this to offend you, um, then just, just hear me out as I say this. Please hear me out. This is literally what the article said. BLM protesters ferociously harass New York Baptist Church. That was the article. Now, they were talking about a specific church in Troy, New York, who if you go and you watch the footage, it would look exactly like that. But what I saw is I saw a bunch of Christians 
instead of having empathy and, and, and um, instead of engaging into the conversation and digging a little bit more into what actually took place, I saw a bunch of Christians started posting, we're being persecuted by Black Lives Matter. That's what I saw. People from Texas, people from this area, people from Florida, all of the, and it's like, it's happening, the leftist this, the leftist that, and can I just say, anytime you post that on social media, you automatically tell someone on the left that they don't matter to Christians, and that they don't matter to Christianity, and that they don't matter to Jesus. But this was literally, this article went out, and it spread out, and it went like wildflower, wildflower, wildfire, that, that the BLM persecuted a church in Troy, New York. I know this church in Troy, New York, and I also know what Scripture says. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be the sons of God. And what was coming out of this church was not merciful. What was coming out of this church was not pure in heart. And what was coming out of this church was not at all uh, from a place of, of peace and promoting peace. If anything, if you go research what they were actually doing, they were attaching themselves politically to a particular area, and they were promoting something that right now people are crying out for justice about. Right now people are crying out for healing about, and they were promoting something, and they started to, to literally do this to be able to create controversy in the middle of all of that. Now, if I read my Bible, that is anti-gospel. So what happened was the activist mommy, activistmommy.com, they were asked to research this. And so they started diving in and they started researching the video footage and they started re researching all of this stuff. And this is what they found out about the church. They found out about the church, literally, quote unquote, the day that you understand that God Almighty has cursed the black race, the sooner that you can start living. That's what the church was preaching. Their next message was essentially called, God hates Jews. Their next message was, God hates Greeks. And this is the type of stuff that was coming out of the church under the banner of Jesus Christ. And I just want to say, that is ridiculous, and that is heresy. And so, yes, people got upset whenever they did something that is anti-Jesus because they're saying we love Jesus and we preach an old-time gospel. Well, in the meantime, while they're preaching an old-time gospel, they're ostracizing a bunch of people who Jesus Christ died for. And yes, there needs to be a voice that stands up. And yes, the church of Jesus Christ needs to stand up and say what they did is wrong and what they did was not persecution. What they did was antagonizing and engaging into an issue that they should not have been in. Now, you can be upset with me, and I'm okay with that. I walked this through with the staff. I said, I'm going to talk about this. Is this too far? They gave me the okay. And if the board wants to have a conversation, I don't think they will. They're probably, hopefully, yes and amen. But, like, but if you're upset with me, hear me out. I want to challenge you to check your heart. 
Because we've attached ourselves and we've said this is persecution. But meanwhile, they weren't walking in the love and the grace and the truth and the mercy and the peace of Jesus Christ. Let me, let me read to you what persecution is. i got to pull it up. Give me one second. Let me read you what persecution is. And this is who Jesus says is blessed. Saturday, July 18th, armed men killed 12 men in central Mali for being followers of Jesus Christ. Yesterday. July 10th, Pastor Thedo, age 35, was dragged from his home because of his faith in a remote part of India. He was later discovered a few days later dead. His wife pleaded with the people who dragged him out not to kill him, and it fell on deaf ears. July 16th, three Christian siblings were murdered in Kenya as they were walking in the center market. July 4th, jihadists killed a group of Christian civilians in Nigeria simply because they were Christians. July 12th, a house church in the underground church of China was raided, was raided and six elders had been arrested and taken away in China. I don't know if you've read about what happens to Christians in China, but it's not like going to jail here in Albany, New York. July 11th, an 11-year-old boy was beaten almost to death by a group of Muslims in Pakistan. An 11-year-old Christian boy. July 11th, 25 Christians were murdered and dozens more injured in the Democratic Republic of Congo. That's persecution. And that's what Jesus says is blessed. We, we think we're being persecuted. Like I've heard this outcry. We can't meet as a church because of COVID-19. We're being persecuted. I don't think we're being persecuted. I think that the church is complying with our government and honoring our government. I think that we're trying to do the right thing and to be peacemakers. Let me, let me read you this, too. This is about a man by the name of Polycarp in 160 A.D. He was one of the bishops of the Catholic Church. He was trained under the Apostle Peter. And he went out to what is now Turkey and Smyria, if I'm saying that right, Smyrna, I'm sorry, Smyrna. And he planted a church. And this is what happened to him. As Polycarp was taken into the arena, a voice came from heaven and said, now this is written from first-hand eyewitnesses of this and has been translated. Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. No one saw who had spoken, but our brothers who were there had heard this voice. And when, they, when the crowd heard that Polycarp had been captured, there was an uproar. Uh, the prosecutor asked him whether he was Polycarp. On hearing that he was, he tried to persuade him to say, having respect for your old age, swear the fortune to Caesar, repent, and say, down with the atheists. Polycarp grimly at the wicked heathen multitude in the stadium and gesturing towards them, he said, down with the atheist, swear, urging the prosecutor, reproach from Christ and I will set you free. This is Polycarp's response. 86 years, 86 years I have served him, being Christ, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king 
and my Savior. Polycarp then prayed, O Lord God Almighty, the Father of your beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the knowledge of you, the God of angels, power in every creature of all of your righteousness who live before you, I give thanks that you count me worthy to be numbered among your martyrs, sharing the cup of Christ and the resurrection of life eternal, both of my soul and body, though uh, through the immorality or, yeah, through the Im immortality of the Holy Spirit, may I receive this day as an acceptable sacrifice as you, the one true God, have predestined, revealed to me, and now fulfilled. I praise you for all these things, and I bless you and glorify you among with the everlasting Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, to you, with him, through the Holy Ghost, be glory both now and forever. Amen. And then they lit the fire. They took Polycarp, and they tied him to a stake, and they lit the fire. They said, then the fire was lit, and the flame blazed furiously. We who were privileged to witness it saw a great miracle. And this is why we have been preserved to tell this story. The fire shaped itself from the form of an ark, like the sail of a ship when filled with the wind. It formed a circle around the body of the martyr. Inside it, he looked not as flesh that was burnt, but like bread that is being baked, or gold and silver glowing in a furnace. And we smelt a sweet scent, like frankincense, or some other precious spice. Eventually, when those wicked men saw that this body could not be consumed by the fire, they commanded the executioner to pierce him with the dagger. And when he did this, a dove flew out. And then it says in parentheses, this may, letter, may later be uh, an interpretation or a transcript error, but it says, a dove flew out, such a great quantity of blood flowed out that the fire was extinguished. The crowds were amazed at the difference between the unbelievers and the elect, of whom the great Polycarp was surely one, having in our own times been an apostolic and prophetic teacher and the bishop of the Catholic Church in Smyrna. That's persecution. And that's what God calls us to. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. Blessed are you when you are merciful. Blessed are you when you are pure in heart. Blessed are you when you are peacemakers. And then he says this, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let me wrap it up with this. Let's be the church. Let's be the church. Let's leave here and walk in mercy, walk in love, walk in peace, serve our brothers and sisters. Let's be the church as we go out. You are blessed, you are holy, and you are set apart. Would you stand with me? Like I know today was a little harder. I just pray that you just sit on this. And if you do want to talk about it, I'm totally open to it. Um, send me an email, michael at citychurchalbany.com. 
but know that my genuine heart is that we can be the manifested church of Jesus Christ in this city. And so today, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity. And I just want you to, whether you're online or here in person, just say these words with me. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. There's nothing magical about the words. Ultimately, it comes down to a heart issue where you're allowing Jesus to transform your heart. And if you did that today, we want to give you, if you're here, a book called The Cross Worked. And if you're watching online, send us an email, michael at citychurchalbany.com or info at citychurchalbany. Drop us a message or a DM, and we want to send you this book. We'll mail it to your house, no charge to you. But it talks about what the cross did and how we can be justified with our faith. But let me pray for us. We're going to sing a song for about three more minutes, and then Nate's going to come up and dismiss us. And know that I love you guys. I know it's a little heavy, but I love you guys. Father, I just thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you have invited us into the fray. You've invited us into the struggle. God, let us be the church as we leave here and we go out. Let us be the manifested body of Jesus, the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in a world that is broken and needing of a Savior. It's in your name we pray. Amen.